together today and staring into the sun where two brothers uh, in two different uh, situations of career and profession, one a psychologist, one a pastor, talk about the collision of the heart and the head, the, the mind and the spirit. And uh, I'm just excited to be here today. I am John Gibson, uh, one half of the brotherly duo. I am the pastoral half. And here is... Yeah, I'm, I'm Rob Gibson, licensed psychologist uh, and uh, also brother. So, looking forward to talking with you today. You see how man. I did that there? I let you introduce yourself. See, how yeah. I'm giving it to Robbie because last time he hosted, he just talked right. Like, he said who I yep. was to everybody. Yep. He didn't even give me a chance to talk. So, I, I wrestled the hosting from him today. <laughs> uh, but here we are. We are excited, man. We, we have had some great topics, some great interaction uh, from some new folks listening. I know I've been shooting out friend requests on Facebook, and we hope that you have connected with us. And we hope also that maybe we would do that second level thing. Uh, we're not a multi-marketing scheme or whatever, you, but we're not doing a pyramid scheme thing here. But we would love, if you're a listener, to, for you to tell someone about your experiences with Staring Into the Sun and maybe uh, some other ways that you can connect. Rob's going to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I would love to hear from you uh, about you know topics of interest. Uh, you can comment on any of our socials. Uh, you can reach out to us, Staring Into the Sun podcast at Gmail. Um, would, would love to hear from you, interact with you. It's been a privilege for those of you who have reached out to us to talk about your experiences with our podcast. And we're definitely interested in knowing what, what types of topics uh, do you have an interest in, in us covering. So I uh, would love to hear from you and encourage you to subscribe and, and share with others that, uh, that you like what you're hearing. And if you do, I also thought we need to get some swag out there. You need like a, a, a Robbie bobblehead. I've always wanted to have a Robbie bobblehead. <laughs> yeah, on my we desk. need a picture of us <laughs> on the podcast. So people I have a, know what we look like. We do. We're going to make that happen. Robbie's just waiting on me uh, to have a picture taken of myself, but I have a okay. Jesus bobblehead somewhere here, around here. Okay. He's bearded. <laughs> well, we, we are excited to engage again on another um, topic here today, and we're going to get right into it. Uh, Robbie, I, last week I had a parishioner, a, a community member, um, who will remain nameless uh, for the sake of anonymity. Uh, anonymity. Um, but he contacted me uh, last week, just going through a hard time of life and struggle, um, and asked me about uh, referring him to someone to talk to. You know, And as a pastor, so I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not a licensed psychologist. I will meet with folks and pray with folks and listen to folks. Um, and also, uh, I, I'm very attentive at knowing, and I've kind of learned over the years, knowing the threshold of when I've kind of uh, drifted out of my ability to help someone or when I need to refer someone. Uh, This gentleman just asked me right off before we kind of have had met at all and said, look, I just need to meet someone with someone I know that something's going on with me that's not right. And I, what I need is a psychiatrist, someone who can prescribe medication of some kind. Uh, so we were kind of talking about that. And uh, as a pastor, I've always uh, felt like it was a pretty gray area for me. I'm a believer in medication at, to some extent with folks. I, I know I've talked with several people over, over my 22 years in ministry who I, I knew 
needed. There was some sort of imbalance going on where they, they just kept kind of recidivating to this process of returning back to their brokenness and never really finding their way out. No matter how much we prayed, no matter how much we sought God about it, no matter how much uh, we had, we had kind of worked up accountability and tried to take practical steps to help them. There was just something that seemed like there, it was off within them. And I've always kind of struggled of when to encourage someone towards um, taking medication or being prescribed or talking to someone who can prescribe for medication, when to know that there's real mental imbalance going on that needs corrected, and when not to. You know, within the church, there's a, a real history um, in, I think, both kind of areas of this thing where there's been a lot of hesitancy towards medication. Like if we're really going to trust the Lord to heal us and take care of us, that we would, we shouldn't take medications at all. Otherwise we don't have faith in him, which I think is a super destructive and, and um, not something that God even prescribes in scripture necessarily. And we can talk more about that, but um, there's a lot of conversation on both sides of this topic, but I just would be curious um, for you to kind of launch in, Robbie, and talk about when should I be medicated? When shouldn't I be medicated? Maybe some helpful tips to, f- to figure out how to navigate that complex journey into mental health and s- really spiritual well-being as well. Yeah, well, I, and I think we should go a number of directions today. <clears throat> I can talk about practical, which I w- want to do. Um, and also, I think it's worth us talking a bit about what it means to be a person, uh, a person that's embodied, that has a physical body, has a spirit, has emotions, has thoughts. Um, and what, what role does making, you know, what, what role do biological interventions have in us going on a journey towards wholeness? Um, when you were sharing, I was thinking about, you know, like, you know, the, the advent of penicillin, right. And, and how, how massively, um, beneficial antibiotics have been for ensuring, you know, that we can live longer, that we don't die really young. Um, and frequently, um, uh, antibiotics have been just massively beneficial to us humans. Now th- there's also trade-offs. Um, and, and that's, I think maybe an entry point into the conversation when we're, when we're thinking about medication, it's really important to remember we are integrated systems and, uh, anytime you make an adjustment, you can anticipate unintended impacts that you can't really foresee, right? So say, for example, with antibiotics, right? We've, we've, we've used those to great benefit and great effect, but we've also began to discover that um, as evolution functions, you know, as bacteria um, responds to repeated um, uh, um, encounters with uh, a antibiotic, uh, it can adapt, uh, and then become antibiotic resistant. Um, this is, uh, I'm trying to remember the names of these. Um, I forget what they're called, MERS or something like that. Not MERS, that's a respiratory virus. But we have antibiotic resistant um, um, uh, bacteria that then becomes a problem, right? And so it, we are in integrated complex systems. Um, and so, uh, but also uh, because of that, I, I think your point, right? It, it doesn't make any sense to completely ignore the biological aspect of what it means to be a person and to tend to that where and when we can as wisely as we can. I was, um, uh, you know, I, I talk with patients very frequently that come to me with concerns about depression. And one of the first things we'll talk about is sleep, right? Mm. It's like, 
interestingly, it's it's not all about your mother or about a relationship. Uh, sometimes a major factor of how you're functioning and feeling depressed is how you're sleeping, right? And and that's integrated, right? That's there's a lot of things that go on there, but we are by we are we are embodied, um, and so we we do need to attend to that. Um, so I think I, I'm sure uh, I'd be curious foundationally what what Christian theology might have to say about, um, about this issue. I know what comes to mind is the, you know, the Gnostic heresy that, you know, the, the, you know, in the, in the early church, this heresy or belief, uh, some people had that, you know, the, the body, the flesh is evil and needs to be shunned. It's, you know, the, the, the mind or the spirit, which is that which can be redeemed or holy and they're separate from each other. Um, and you know, the church, deem that a heresy. And I'm sure that has connections with what we might believe about Jesus. But I'd be, I'd be curious to hear you wax on eloquently a little bit, or maybe uneloquently, however that goes, but about this issue of being embodied, like being integrated humans, body, mind, soul. Um, wh- where do ideas like that come from uh, theologically or scripturally? Yeah. Well, I mean, all throughout Scripture, one of the major metaphors of what it means to not only be a person, to be human, but to be in this collective community that God has created uh, in the in the Christian realm. We, we God, Jesus uses this metaphor, even especially like in Ephesians 4, for example, of, of the community of faith being the body of Christ that we're made up of many members, eyes and arms and legs. And so the, the Scriptures use the body, uh, the physical body, as a metaphor for what it means to be a whole and healthy not only person, but what it means to be a whole and healthy uh, communal entity, uh, all of creation together. And we also believe that that God created us, the, the who we are as flesh, he, and He made us in the image of God. It says that several times throughout Genesis that that we were, that humankind were made in the image of God, and the image of God we He created us, um, and so that speaks to spirit, but also, also speaks to body, you know, and some, someday in the future when we believe as, as Christians that Jesus will bring this culmination moment where all of the brokenness of creation will be healed and made whole, that all, what was broken before is done away with and what is new, it will have this new creation that will burst forth in the world. And that speaks to not just spirit, but body. It'll be a bodily resurrection. There will be a, a bodily um uh, healing of all creation and all of all of people, but so it's spirit and body, and and we can go, um, we could talk and get way in depth with a lot of those metaphors within scripture. Robbie put me on the on the spot today, so we're not going to unpack the the whole you know the whole deal, but. God cares about the body and cares about the spirit together. The the ancient Jewish perspective was that this was a, a holistic kind of like you had described uh, this biological union. You know that that ancient Israelites didn't didn't just differentiate between the spirit and the body. That the the heart itself was the the residence of the soul of the person, and that connected to all of the other parts of the person. The mind and the heart and the body all work together, and that's why we have all of these laws within ancient Jewish culture of of caring for the body, of taking care to not have impurity within the body. And you know, law after law after law was was set in place to protect the purity of the person 
uh, and the purity of the body itself so that there wouldn't be sickness and there wouldn't be decay. And, and so sin of the body and sin of the mind were things that would infect the wholeness of the person. And, and uh, so there's just all over Scripture there is care given uh, and emphasis given to not just the spirit but also the body. Um, and it's something that we need to remember, I think, that, as you said, that we are um, – whole people and we can't just forget one and cast aside the other that God I believe God cares deeply about who we are spiritually and who we are physically and that they intertwine that they connect and when I'm unhealthy like you said when I'm not sleeping well it, it not only affects my physical well-being but it affects my emotional well-being my mental well-being my spiritual well-being and the same is true for other areas when when my spirit is broken when there is you know uh destructive things going on in relationships or or I'm making poor choices and consequences are kind of playing out in my life. Those don't just affect me mentally and emotionally and spiritually. They affect me physically. Uh, stress affects me physically. There, There is deep connection between the two. And I think that's a little bit of why we want to we'll talk today, because a lot of times there's there's a connection between the two so much when when there's um, a severing or an imbalance that we need to correct. Uh, and there's some precedent for this within the scriptures. I was just kind of reading um, as you were talking, Robbie, it kind of connected my heart to this reality, you know, in the church, we have this tradition of anointing with oil. I don't know if, if you're in a spiritual background, a lot of spiritual faiths will do this where oil is a symbolic form of cleansing or asking upon the spirit of God to uh, to come upon a person. But in the ancient world, oil, um, many types of oil were used um, for the purpose of healing itself. Uh, they didn't have modern medicine like we do, but oils were used to anoint the sick or to anoint what they perceived as a demon-possessed person or someone with some kind of mental malady. Oil was used uh, in a medicinal way um, to bring about wholeness or to connect also spiritual realities with the physical body. So there's precedence within Scripture even of, of making choices to use physical things to pair with spiritual and emotional uh, well-being and to connect the two together. And I think that that gives us some sort of precedent to begin to talk about. Now, in the modern world, uh, we anoint with oil, oil symbolically, but we're also given a lot of these advancements of medicine, understanding how the mind works and how the, the body works in a, in a much uh, deeper way than they did in the ancient world, that mm-hmm. I think allows us to step into, yeah, God has allowed us to understand some of those things, and how can we use them wisely for good um, to bring us to a place of physical healing that can also lead to deeper sp- like spiritual and emotional healing. And I, I would like to hear you talk about that. I think yeah. there's two things we can maybe kind of narrow those down because we're, we're kind of, I'm wandering now. So okay. bring us down, w- share some instances where medication probably shouldn't be used or some examples of how we jump too quickly and it harms instead of helps. Mm-hmm. And then maybe share some examples in your own experience, Robbie, of how medication led a person to be able to find healing that maybe they couldn't have, had they not entered into being, you know, having medication intervene in their situation. Maybe talk about those two places, Rob. Right. Yeah. And and I I will, I'll I'll start with the first one that you mentioned. Um, And I'm going to follow some of my thoughts and try to collect them here. My initial one is knowing that, and, and this is pretty, it's pretty well observed in scientific research that, 
like say for example, the serotonin system is related to feeling depressed. And that's not just in humans that can be observed in animals, um, in rats, lobsters, you know, all, all kinds of places where, um, if, if, in an animal or a being is um, not um, elevating or meeting the demands of the, of the environment very well, there's a closing in and there's a like a depressed type of uh, position that I think is meant to do several things. It's meant to communicate to those around that I'm not doing okay. Um, that's what something like sadness does, the embodied experience of sadness, like with tears. Um, it, it's meant to communicate to other people in need and a brokenness where help can come in. But there's also a corresponding um, uh, tra you know, transition or transformation in the mind um, because uh, that impacts how the brain functions and they, they're integrated. And so you could see serotonin systems being, being affected. Now, so a, a very common medication, something like a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which is an antidepressant that's very commonly used for a variety of uh, con concerns, depression, anxiety. Um, the 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 theory behind it would be something like, and I've noticed you use the word imbalance, right? The theory would be something like, in the course of my experience. There's been uh, – uh, things have happened such that either by birth or by my life experience that my serotonin levels have gotten out of balance such to the point that even as I make changes to my relationships or my life, there's still this ongoing fatigue, difficulty sleeping, lack of energy, lack of pleasure from things that are pleasurable. And so the theory would be if I take an antidepressant that's – you know prevents the reuptake of serotonin, which means that more serotonin stays in your brain synapses, the theory would be is that that would be helpful. Now, a caveat I would give is, um, you know, keep, keep in mind, as science has developed in the study of the mind, uh, it's not too long ago that we were using ice picks to send it up somebody's eyeball, uh, eye socket, to, to mix around their frontal lobe to affect their mental health, right? That was something that was happening in the not too distant future. I mean, humans have been around for a long time. This is something that was happening, you know, within the last several hundred years, right? So uh, we've, we've advanced a lot, but I think uh, scientifically we're still, uh, the, the way I think of medications is kind of like, you know, if, if we know that experiences are localized in different brain areas, medications go all throughout your brain, and so that's a caution is just knowing that there are going to be pros and cons to any medication you take and you need to ask good questions and think thoroughly about what, what are the pros and cons of this. And also uh, you need to ask somebody who's done their research on uh, the outcome studies, what situations it tends to benefit with. Because one common thing that might happen is uh, say somebody experiences a depressed you know, uh, an episode of depression. M most research on episodes of depression, now this is for most people, it's not for everybody, but it's very common that a depressive episode will remit on its own in, you know, six to 12 months. Okay. And so what can happen is in kind of just anecdotal processes with a medication provider, what, what somebody might often do is they'll, you know, go see a medication provider and let's try this medication and you're assessing side effects and how does it affect me. But you can't really tell, is this helping or is it just the natural passing of time, the changes in my life, things like that, that are leading to the, the remission of the depressive episode. And so you don't get really solid evidence on whether the medication is helping. And so that's why we need 
you know, solid scientific study to assess how is this working? Um, because it, imbalance is a metaphor to understand it, but it's actually not complicated enough, um, a, a, a way of thinking about it, um, because it, it doesn't take into account the effects that it has on the other parts of your body and brain. Um, and so that's not to, to scare people, um, because when you talk with a provider, they'll talk to you about, well, what are the secondary effects of this medication? Um, what are they indicated for? What are they not? Um, but I, I encourage people to ask good questions like, what are the side effects of this and why, you know, w- what are the outcomes generally of this medication? And uh, so some examples, right? Uh, some medications that are really, really helpful, that really work, they have some downsides, right? So like uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, right? ADHD. When that is the actual diagnosis, um, and, and there's certainly kids who get diagnosed with ADHD because, you know, a variety of reasons, context issues, uh, difficult family situation, and the child is the one who is behaving poorly. And so they get a diagnosis and they get prescribed a stimulant or something. And that's, that's not the situation I'm talking about. I'm talking about situations where it's definitely an ADHD diagnosis. A stimulant medication helps massively. I mean, it, it is it is incredibly effective. Now there's trade-offs. Um, and this is what a doctor will talk about. We've got to monitor appetite because uh, it can suppress appetite. And the last thing we want is that, you know, a 12 year old kid not eating enough when their body and their brain are growing. Like that's vital that they get enough nutrients. Otherwise that can be problems. Right. But that's something that's really, really effective. Um, but take another case, um, medications that were very heavily used, um, you know, probably in the 90s, early 2000s, um, benzodiazepines for anxiety. Um, a benzodiazepine, um, something like um, clonopin, Xanax, uh, these types of medications, uh, it, they, they really work to calm the anxiety system in your body and relax you. Okay. Now, as more research has been done, uh, in addition to theory, right? So research is showing that long-term use, like 10, 20 years, um, can increase risk of dementia, right? And so that you have trade-offs that you have to consider is ameliorating this symptom worth that trade-off. The other one is theoretical though, um, which is if, if I utilize a substance, say a benzodiazepine or something like alcohol, to soothe my psychic pain so much so that I no longer attend to it, uh, that creates a problem. Because if you have a problem in living that's integrated with how it's affecting your mind and your anxiety, uh, and that doesn't get attention, you have several things happening. One is you don't have the problem getting addressed and it's probably a complicated problem, but you don't have that getting addressed. But two is your body is habituating to this medication, which means that it stops producing its own capacity to regulate anxiety on its own and your own tolerance levels. Um, as I work with people who get sober from alcohol, for example, which is a, which is a depressant, it soothes anxiety and um, a, a number of other things. Uh, their, their tolerance for anxiety is uh, very, very low once, once they stop drinking because their body had habituated to the use of the substance. And so it can be really brutal, like really brutal coming off of something like a benzodiazepine or uh, alcohol, something like that. So um, theoretically, those are situations like with anxiety management where I think we really have to examine the pros and cons. And there are situations where an anxiety medication, the anxiety is so terrible currently that it, you know, you're about to get fired or, um, or the symptoms are so problematic, it helps you stay out of the hospital. Um, often, 
patients with schizophrenia, for example, may take an anti-anxiety medication because the alternative is so much more disastrous if they don't have it, that it's worth the trade-off. Um, uh, but in a fair amount of times, like uh, medication for depression, for example, a, a fair amount of times, it's, it's mildly to not helpful. Um, and somebody might go through two, three, four tries of different medications, and they might even experience a, a surgence of suicidal thinking on one of them. You know, so so it doesn't mean that antidepressants can't help people, um, but they really need to be um, thought through very carefully with a team of professionals, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a therapist, a primary care provider, you know, some group of people that's going to weigh weigh the pros and cons of this approach. Um, it makes me think of something I've experienced within the church and within the realm of faith is that a lot of times when we have crisis in life, right, something goes on and you lose a job or you have a relationship fall apart or something devastating happens, you lose somebody you love and you, or it's whatever, you have a, a huge crisis moment in life. A lot of people approach faith in the midst of crisis or consequence because they, they want God to enter in and fix it, right? To relieve their pain, to fix their crisis, their problem, to restore something that was broken or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. And we approach God almost as like a, a metaphor of a vending machine, right? I got this need in my life that I need fixed or met, and I'm going to, I'm going to go to God. I'm going to insert my coins and, you know, hit my little B8 button and he's going to pop out what I need to fix my situation. Mm. And at, at a core level, that's a misunderstanding of what faith really is about. Um, for, for me, the experience of faith and what is revealed, I believe through scripture is that faith is an invitation to live in relationship with a God who loves you. And the byproduct of that relationship then is the ability to navigate life in all circumstances. When we face suffering of many kinds, that we'll be able to have a perspective of what that suffering is about, which leads us then to be able to persevere, builds character and leads us to hope. We, we begin to see life and the fruits of a relationship with God or faith which then provides the byproducts of what we experience as a better life or the ability to navigate things that are hard in life. But at, the, at kind of a core level, I think a lot of times we default as humans to kind of wanting to hit that easy button. I got problems. I'm going to pray God fix it rather than I seek a faith relationship with God in order to have the things I need to be able to navigate life. And I see this sometimes Sometimes as you're talking, Rob, it was coming to mind that I think a lot of times we, we feel like medication is the answer rather than an aid to lead us towards better navigating yeah. or finding the answer. Yeah. yeah. When in the the data on psychotherapy would bear this out. It, in most cases, it's best seen as an adjunct mm. to psychotherapy, to life changes, to improvement in your your physical health, your sleep, your diet, your exercise. It's seen as an adjunct um, and not as a primary treatment, except in some cases. Um, and the the uh, when when you were sharing, I was I'm trying to grab the example back because I was listening. Um, Oh man, it, it left my brain. So if it comes, <laughs> I'm sure back, it was really good. I'll grab it. <laughs> oh, this is what it was. Oh yeah. The other factor that I was thinking about is um, 
uh, I'm not, this isn't me being a, a conspiracist or something, but there are, there are market incentives, right, around the, the medication industry as well as the, the healthcare industry. Mm. And if you think about what the incentives are, say, for an insurance company, and I'm not saying they're bad, we, it, it helps, right? It, it helps to have a functioning insurance system. But if, if a primary purpose of like an insurance company is to manage costs um, and to provide, you know, shareholder uh, value, then a treatment like medication, right, that would say, um, you know, uh, you know, provide shorter term results quicker that could result in ending treatment sooner would be valued over something like psychotherapy that's less clear, less defined, and might take longer. Like a, a good example of this is insurance companies, by and large, won't pay for couples therapy, even though relationships are just such a massive source of mental health difficulties, right? Mm. Um, and also, uh, medication companies have an incentive um, to uh, to make money off of medications, which means, uh, like, I'll give you an example. I have a psychiatrist I work with out here in Denver. Um, he's, uh, I really respect him, well-educated. Um, he's uh, on kind of the edge, fourth wave types of treatments. And he talked about using oxygen with patients, Okay, so so oxygen, right, for patients with depression, right? That's not an expensive medication that kicks back money to a pharmaceutical company. is It's simply a canister <laughs> with a mask, right? Mm. Uh, you know, so so there's there's treatments that don't get much money, um, and and so there there's an it's just something to be aware of when when you enter the conversation about medications. I I'm not trying to encourage being afraid. What I'm trying to encourage is it, we need to think about it carefully, take a holistic look at our lives and what's present because medications uh, do not provide um, that that fix. And if they do, it's concerning. Like I was mentioning before, a benzodiazepine will fix your anxiety, but it will also have a bunch of secondary effects that are problematic for living. And like I said, some situations, that's worth it. You know, um, uh, some situations, the symptoms are so severe or the, you know, the, the age of the person or the situation, it's deemed worth it. Um, but uh, it, I, I encourage people to see them as ad adjunctive options that you would join with other approaches because you got to re remembering that you're, you're an integrated person um, and that there's other aspects that impact your body, uh, the way you're living, the choices you're making, the relationships you're experiencing, your own experience of suffering that other people have done to you. All of that is integrated. Um, and uh, I, I encourage people to consult with providers and have a team where you consider the pros and cons of medications. Um, one, uh, one actually interestingly promising vein uh, of research currently, and this is kind of what I meant earlier of like, we're kind of, we're groping in the dark, you know, like the way of seeing medications currently is we, we kind of douse your brain with, uh, you know, a substance, right? And we actually know that a lot of experiences in the body are kind of integrated localized areas and so uh like uh current current areas of of research beyond current medications are things like um actually interestingly enough connecting with our history as humanity there's current uh, experimentation with use of um, psychedelics in treatment so uh trauma treatment uh and other uh, forms of like severe depression have um uh you know several places multiple places are experimenting with using um like ketamine infusions things like that 
um, uh, which I think has some rooting in our tradition as humans of using uh, using substances for spiritual experiences. Um, but uh, one of the interesting things with uh, uh, some of the newer treatments is uh, finding an impact on mood, but also what we really want, um, one of the reasons that uh, kind of initial views on ketamine is useful is that it might help open up like creative thinking. And uh, certainly when somebody's stuck in depression, cognitive flexibility is incredibly useful. And so a theoretical rationale there would be, you know, something like ketamine or a medication is, it's not wise for me to have to use this for the rest of my life. I don't think that's the right way of thinking about it. I think the right way of thinking about it is this is something that could potentially be useful as an adjunct to lifestyle, internal, external, relational changes that I want to make. And if they provide an adjunct to that, that's wonderful. Like an example would be, you know, if somebody is frequently suicidal and, uh, you know, the concern is about them staying alive, the pro-con discussion shifts around an antidepressant, right? Because you're, you're now thinking, okay, if there's benefits from this medication, even if it kind of mildly helps most people, if it helps this person, that's really useful because the situation is so at risk. Um, and so, you know, your pro con discussion shifts depending on the situation. And so those are just some examples I would say that I've observed in practice and we, we're still learning. Um, and we're still uh, getting longer term studies like um, uh, stimulant medications, for example, um, you know, that they've been used for quite a long time now. And so uh, now you can do more longer term research on it. Um, but it, the caveat is, is that, you know, things that we don't have long term research on, we don't know how it's going to affect us long term. And so we do know that there are some things that are just not going to harm you long term. Things like healthy relationships, things like being outdoors, exercising, uh, eating a healthy diet. Um, you know, we know those things are solid, um, but those are also really often hard to change. Changing how I eat is way different than taking a medication. Um, so uh, that, those are some of my general impressions about that, to, to do it wisely, to do it in an integrated approach with both your providers as well as seeing yourself as an integrated being where medication could be an adjunct of treatment, but you want to consider the downsides to it as well. Yeah, so good. I, I love it. So just kind of in layman's terms, we what we want to encourage you today, it's such a complex conversation. And wherever you are on uh, listening today, whatever your situation is, uh, know first very clearly, we're, we're not uh, promoting one way or the other. We just wanted to kind of talk and have a conversation about the, the diverse and complex reality of medication and, and your best self uh, leading you towards healing, which is always kind of where our conversations end up goes. How do we flourish? as humans um, in our minds and our bodies and our spirits. Um, but uh, kind of what I what I heard us saying today is that number one, be wise, recognize that maybe you don't know all the things about uh, medication or about the journey. So seek out folks, whether it's a medical provider, a counselor, a, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, find folks that you can journey with who also have wisdom to bring to the table and understand what uh, medications will do and what the impact will be. Don't be afraid to ask questions about that. Um, I think second, I heard us saying today is that um, we need to be careful the perspective that any medication and, and for that matter, any um, situation any in our faith or any therapy yeah. is right. the answer rather than seeing those uh, those things as um, 
avenues for moving us towards the answer of healing. There, there are tools in the tool belt uh, that we have access to as humans to help us journey towards healing. And we never want those things to supersede the reality that we have brokenness or something in us that needs fixing or needs addressed. We don't want to use substances or circumstances to keep us from finding our way towards whatever that thing is that we need to address in our lives. So find wisdom. Don't use things to keep you from really finding what's going on in your life. I think are two really important kind of bullet points that we can clarify down to today from our conversation that I know are super helpful for me as I navigate uh, this journey with folks within the church. And um, yeah, I'm just helpful. Uh, It's been real helpful, Robbie. Thank you for talking a little bit about medication today. Yeah. And if, if I could summarize one more point for me, it's, it's that ask, ask the hard questions, you know, Mm -hmm. both how can this help me and how could this potentially not be helpful? Um, And also uh, yes, enter in, Right, because that's that's another thing I don't want to come across is that um, medications are bad um, uh, any more than we want to say that medications are the all answer for something. Um, but just uh, ask hard questions and enter in uh, and ask about how you know what could be helpful for me and why and why not. Um, th- those are good things to ask and remembering that we're we're integrated. We're embodied humans, and that most of our com- most of our problems are pretty complicated um, and integrated. And so, um, approaching ourselves that way, I think, is is going to end in better results. Man, been another great conversation uh, here today, Robbie. Thank you so much, and we look forward to many more uh, fruitful discussions that move us towards human flourishing here on Staring into the Sun. It's been a great time talking together with all of you. We hope that again you would share, like, love, uh, subscribe, all of those wonderful things. We just can't wait uh, for future conversations down the road. Also, we'd love to hear from you what you'd like for us to talk about here on Staring into the Sun. I am Pastor John Gibson. Yeah, this is Rob Gibson, and look forward to next time as we stare into the sun together. Grace and peace. The way we find ourselves is by staring into the sun.
helps is by staring into the sun.